Hey, everybody. So here is part two of our discussion with Paul Stortz. This one, as opposed to last week, moves from our discussion on Bitcoin Hivemind, his prediction market project, further into uh, his sidechain protocol, DriveChain, how it all fits together, how sidechains can be implemented on Bitcoin, soft forks, hard forks. And thanks for tuning in. Here we go. I, I want to ask before we get further. Actually, do you have time, uh, Paul? We're at we're at an hour. Oh but, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. Okay, perfect. Uh, Fernando actually had to run to a meeting, but uh, it's good that he did, so I can ask a question about him behind his back. <laughs> so Fernando is like the Bitcoin maximalist on our show. I'm I'm like eighty percent there. We can talk about what that means, but. Um, he loves it when we get Bitcoin Maximus on the show. He's always texting me in the background. He's, he's, he's loving the, the chat when we get people on that are, you know, in the Bitcoin Maximus direction. I'm happy to say that now behind his back, now that he's gone. <laughs> he, he would laugh at it. But the interesting thing that you wrote in this recent post from a couple days ago, uh, like a week ago, is Bitcoin post-maximalism. Right. So are you, you know, use the, the phrase like 75% Bitcoin maximalist now. What is your position as it regards to side chains and the future side chains versus you know what people are doing uh, with altcoins right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, the the title Bitcoin post maximalism is kind of like it's almost like a joke on like postmodernism or something where it's kind of like is the philosophy really here or not? But I, yeah, I think I would say that I was a Bitcoin maximalist, kind of a hundred percent. Um, until recently, and then I would say that I have switched to be, from becoming a Bitcoin maximalist to being a Bitcoin post-maximalist. So I think I'm just in my, in my philosophy, and I think actually a, a very many people agree with me. I've gotten lots of different emails, Twitter messages. People have been saying, even though I haven't really promoted the, the piece at all. In fact, I, I don't think I even, like, I was like in a reply that I first sent it out on Twitter, like one reply to someone else on Twitter. And so people ended up finding it anyway. And it, it actually, it wasn't until people started writing to me about like how much they liked it and I retweeted it that I think even a lot of people, uh, so people had already discovered it by then. So it's a, I think it's actually. Yeah, I saw it in, I saw it in uh, Jimmy Song's newsletter. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. I got to thank him for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. So, yeah, and he's, uh, yeah, I like Jimmy Song a lot. He's, um, see, that's the sad thing is that I think Jimmy Song is a great example of someone who he is like, it's difficult for a community to make space for rising stars because there are people who are already at the top and they, whatever they say, you know, they want to stay there. And that's just human nature. And people want to have seniority. I think Jimmy Song is he's doing all this hard work. He's trying to train new new developers for Bitcoin, which is such like a Herculean task, like very difficult. And, um, you know, I'm not like, I don't know, like it's like hard to for people to like get because all the low hanging fruit are taken. And then you, you kind of get it from both sides because you get opposition from the own group and you get resistance from the people who are currently on top of the status hierarchy. But perhaps this conversation for another time, but perhaps not because it is related to Bitcoin post-maximalism, which basically is the philosophy is that it's basically very similar, in fact, um, which is that have we become sort of overconfident? 
uh, is one of the questions. Um, so the the Bitcoin post maximalists would describe someone who 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 was a Bitcoin maximalist for a very long time, and still wants to be, but is kind of frustrated at the fact that the world is nonetheless em embracing altcoin pluralism, uh, and so it's just like. There is no like. There's only so much you can do if the world disagrees with you, right? Which is basically nothing. <laughs> so I think it's basically a theoretical. If you say theoretically, you know, we should only have one form of money. And theoretically, the R and D at Bitcoin is just better than all these other things. Uh, but in practice, it's not. It's not working that way. And I think Dan Krawitz actually in our discussion, we had a video discussion of the essay on Saturday. A couple of days ago, before I even published it, I sent the draft to them, and then we talked about it on YouTube, and it was really great. Yeah. Uh, but he pointed out that what you're really doing if you bet on crypto is you're betting against the traditional financial system, and it's a pretty good bet because the traditional financial system is not optimal. There's a lot of expense. There's a lot of inconvenience. A lot of the things are just it just sounds like nonsense. If you're familiar with Bitcoin, you just think like, how can people do things this way? If you ever try to like send money at at Western Union or like through like um, with the MoneyGram list of phones, you just think this is like nonsense. 12 business days, wait, whatever it is. Yeah, like sometimes it's like, yeah, not even, they have, the places have hours. You're like, oh, I can't do it on, yeah. I can't do it on Sunday. I can't do it after 5 p.m. You're just like, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Uh, you know, how is this possible? You can send an HD video to someone in a couple seconds, but sending them money is kind of a challenge. But now we have things like Venmo, you know, that's kind of its own tangent. But the point is, you're competing with the traditional financial system if you invest in crypto. And it's really the, 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 the heart and soul of the investment is realizing how difficult the entire legacy system is, you know, Venmo included. And there's lots of these people who, you know, they're not going to have, let's look at what happened with the Russian oligarchs. We get all this stuff, constant news, you know, get, uh, the Cyprus bail-ins, all these things, Venezuelan. Mm -hmm hyperinflation. There are all these people where the traditional system for them is, is basically unusable or maybe literally unusable if there are sanctions or if the, you know, you're in Iran or something. So you're betting against the traditional model and the traditional model sucks. And that's the heart and soul of the investment. But it doesn't really matter which crypto wins. So probably there will be one winning crypto. But as I was just explaining about Ethereum, I think actually the Excuse me, I think actually the, the technical features don't really actually matter that much, which is kind of shocking. But empirically, it seems to be the case. And I bring up the QWERTY keyboard and the English language as examples of, you know, in practice, something that the QWERTY keyboard is a perfect example, you know. Even if you type on Dvorak or something, you type it on a QWERTY keyboard. So it's not like the keyboard could be laid out a different way. But when you buy a keyboard and when people learn to type they learn on a QWERTY keyboard and then even if if there's someone Nassim Taleb has this in his book but I was using it as an example before he was <laughs> it's a great example because if you have something like a meeting in Germany and France it's the meeting is in English a business meeting between people businessmen in French and businessmen in in Germany because not, they don't know that everyone speaks French on the German side. They don't know that everyone speaks German on the French side. But they know that everyone speaks just a little bit English. And like same thing, like all international contracts, even if they're at some random judge, 
in some European country, there are, the contracts are written in English. <laughs> so there's no less ambiguity about. So, and English is like a weird language, you know, we know that there's better languages and I bring up Esperanto, which is a language that was designed to be very easy to learn, but that no one speaks. Yep. And it's because we're not honest with ourselves about what people really want. Sometimes people want the language to be ambiguous as in like poetry and other things. When they send secret signals, secret political dog whistle signals to their friends, you know, people invent their own jargon deliberately to make it, it's like a kind of encryption around your speech so that outsiders won't know what you're talking about. You know, we, we, have, to, we have to be honest, we have to figure, we have to be honest with ourselves about how little we know about what we actually want. And you would just think it would be a no-brainer that, oh, Bitcoin has the best technology and it was here first and blah, blah, blah. But it really could just be, uh, we have to at least acknowledge the possibility that people just care about whatever the shiniest object is and that it will attract their attention and that some weird partnership of something that's sort of decentralized a little bit but has government support and isn't totally, like Bitcoin might be too subversive. And so as a result, it may not, that, that may just not be what most people want. Most people vaguely support their government, you know, so it would be a hard sell <laughs> to say you're totally 100% subversive yeah. as we see, because we know in polite conversation, anyone who brings up anarchism and sometimes even libertarianism is sort of just like treated as a kind of a weirdo and it's, there's some justification for that, as they say in the Hive Mind uh, governance presentation, which is that, you know, it does, you will fall along this one dimension ultimately when you vote. And so you are throwing your vote away if you vote kind of third party. But yeah, that's, I think what Bitcoin post-maximalism is, is this acknowledgement that it's really Satoshi's invention of the blockchain is really the major breakthrough. But actually, shockingly, the, the Bitcoin part doesn't seem to matter to these new people as much. But you do make the point that we can get back to it and uh, if, you know, if side chains uh, get adopted. So I definitely want to talk about that. But getting back to it still is a challenge, you know, getting people to adopt side chains, uh, as you, you wrote about. One thing, again, just to follow up on what you've been saying, you know, I've been into Bitcoin since 2013, 2014, even heard about it actually much earlier, but just was over here in Eastern Europe, couldn't really <laughs> figure it out. So uh, it took me a couple of years to even get into it. But one thing that I was always hearing well, actually, two things before I get to that point. The uh, first thing you wrote is the free rider problem, which really I thought stuck with me. You know, it's like if you're good enough to design an altcoin, you probably just will design it. And that's that's been done over the years. And it's you, it's more profitable for that person than to uh, to design on a side chain, it seems. So that's one sort of big negative as far as I can see it. And then the second one would be for years, like I feel like I've been hearing that Bitcoin does have the largest network effect and, and absolutely does. And it's a core part of my portfolio. But the idea that any technology that an altcoin comes up with, it can just sort of be rolled back into Bitcoin. That one never really jived with me at all. And then especially after the scaling debate, sort of closing of that chapter last summer, I don't really know at all how you would roll in if there is something that's truly developed better outside those two points really, to me, seem to be tough for you know what we're talking about. Yes, uh, it, it's weird. I kind of started writing that piece like 
months ago and it kind of just like it was weird and it was like a lot of different things at once so it's like complaining about different things at once and then it kind of converged into those three categories and i think each of the three people have it's funny i've gotten actually messages from people and people do pick different ones that they say that they that are their favorite which is kind of interesting i think that that's a good thing you know which is that it's a lot of people have noticed some people are just different they're more sensitive to some things than others, and everyone has kind of picked up on this underlying thing, the Bitcoin post-maximalism maybe. And I, I think that one of those, the one you bring up in particular, the idea that you know the altcoins aren't a threat and we can just kind of ignore them, and if they do anything cool, we'll just copy it. There is something wrong with that, and I don't know exactly what it is, but we have, obviously, we can observe a couple things, and I think you're correct to observe Basically, that we there's disagreement over whether or not something really is better. Yeah. So it's like if an altcoin invents something better, we'll just include it. But there's profound disagreement over whether or not, you know, Monero's transactions are better because they have more UTXO bloat, yep. right? But they are more private. They they blind the amounts. Five times each transaction, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. The transactions are very large and they're more expensive. The fees are are proportionally higher. So, is that better? Now, all, how do we answer that question? You know, what if there's a dispute over whether or not it's better? So it's quite a, um, that, that in itself is like actually quite kind of an insurmountable problem. Like, do we want, is Namecoin better? You know, like, should we bolt it into Bitcoin or what should we do? Should we do nothing, you know? But it's weird. You're putting these people in a weird position if you say, that it's not better because they have all this attention from investors and users. So some people think that developers working on Monero and the people who own Monero and the people who use Monero, they obviously think that it's, they obviously think that the benefits outweigh the costs. So there's some surplus there. Uh, and then it's like, what exactly do you do? Like, and then how do you decide? Uh, and in particular, I would agree with you that you know, in practice, a lot of the altcoins have done things. I give the example of the Dash marketing budget that I, you would everyone, I, I thought was a dumb idea. I think everyone, would, anyone who thought about it would also think that it was like a dumb idea. They think like, what the heck? Like some of my money is being, I, I pay an inflation tax and all this money goes into an account that will supposedly be spent on marketing. And it's a giant, giant um, pool of money and who's for overseeing how it's spent. But it kind of works. Another thing is just the fact that Ethereum's emphasis on the ICOs. That I know a lot of people in Bitcoin, uh, even uh, have, many of them have said uh, on record, they say, well, you know, it's a good thing that Bitcoin doesn't support ICOs because I don't want these scam ICOs in Bitcoin. And that's, I think that's fine. That is a good, you know, you're managing the brand of Bitcoin. So there's some justification for that. But of course, what's the problem with that view? The problem with that view is that there's all these people paying hand over fist, not only with their money, but with their attention. And that's so the, the Ethereum's strategy of- A crowdfund in 13 lines of code or less or whatever it is. Yeah, like exactly. Allowing all this weird stuff has, has paid off you know, in a very undeniable way that they just have attention and they have, uh, they have uh, people's you know, hearts and minds and support. So that's something that you need if you're going to try to do money. I think a lot of times people compare this project to like 
PGP email or something, and they get the wrong parts of it, that, you know, the, the an important thing is the important thing is that we the the project kind of take hold and that people use it. And so the most interesting thing about PGP is that people aren't using it, unfortunately. And so the right lesson to learn is how do we get more people to uh, to use things, and especially with money, where you have these strong network effects, you just can't um, you just can't survive if you don't have not only a lot of users but like the most users, because you'll eventually get crowded out uh, at some point. So how 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 can we uh, make this soft? It's a soft fork, right? For the drive chain, it would it would need a soft fork. Yes. Uh, well, I think uh, there is still it's a little bit interesting because I'm not exactly sure what the next. Uh, best thing forward might be, but I think probably since there is such a uh, a reluctance to look at the project, um, I mean, as I say, I've you can pay people to do review um, as I've done, but there just seems to be like an inherent bias away from the projects, uh, from all sidechain projects uh, over years, not just mine. It just seems to be like a weird thing. I, I think the one of my favorite points is the one where you're like training your own replacement. I think that is kind of driving a lot of the disinterest. Uh, but I think we have to just kind of, uh, I think maybe that it would just be, uh, maybe I'll put up something like a bug bounty and I'll probably make a, a probably a pretty sizable one. And I'll just say like, here's all this money if bugs are found. And we'll get, and I'll kind of help uh, people understand the code. And probably then we just have to, you know, we'd have to get the, we'd have to, uh, well, it's an issue because what I would like to say is that we just ask the miners to run the code and they would. Um, and I'm confident that they would, uh, both because I've spoken to them and just because it's basically like free money for them and a good chance at increasing the value of, Bitcoin, which is helps their bottom line tremendously because they, you know, they pay for electricity in fiat, but then they earn bitcoins. So they want the price of Bitcoin to go up, then they're they're very happy. Um, so it, I would like to do that, but uh, I don't know. You know, you don't want to. I don't want to do kind of what you know, like uh, Bitcoin Unlimited did, where it's just like you just kind of assert that this is going to be the new thing. Even though this is a totally opt-in, you know, ignorable soft fork, which is a big difference. Right. Still, it's kind of like you know, you're not exactly certain exactly how much uh, you know support you have or how much. Um, uh, I hate to use the word consensus, but you know, you don't know like, and then I don't know if there, are, you know, who knows if there are problems with the code. Of course, there's. It's very normal for there to be problems in in code and to fix them, um, but. That is a. Those are kind of. That's kind of like the next step. Is do we just turn it on? I think. I think maybe the answer to that question might be yes because, you know, just turn it on and, you know, why wait? Sorry. What What does that mean exactly? Turn it on, like see if people run it. Yeah, I think. Um, well, you know, there would be some things. It's one interesting thing is that there is for the. Uh, I always bring up like a large block side chain because it would be so easy to make and because I think people would be interested in using it quickly. Uh, but one interesting thing is that if you hard fork, you have which you know Bitcoin Cash did, they have the advantage hard fork to a higher block size. They have the advantage of just every, on, everyone's onboarded immediately. But if you just use a side chain, it's you, everyone has to 
individually leave the main chain for the side chain, which is good for most things, you know, for like a privacy side chain or for like a, a specialized, like a markets side chain, like, like a Truthcoin hive mind or uh, even like a smart contract side chain like Rootstock or something like that. So that's mostly kind of okay. But for payments, it kind of is like, because the, the pitch is that, you know, everyone can immediately start using this. I'm not sure, like, you know, do you really opt into, it's, it sort of seems like there might be uh, an edge to, to hard fork. So unfortunately, there's just so many things to think about, like, if we do this, will anyone care about the large block sidechain now that Bitcoin Cash exists? Mm-hmm. Maybe no, right? So there's just a lot of different groups. And it's just, you got for me, I'm just trying to keep everyone's uh, concerns and hopes in my head at the same time to try to figure out what exactly the, the best new thing, you know, the best way forward um, is. And, you know, I'm not really sure about what it is. So if anyone knows what it is, feel free to email me <laughs> or get me on Twitter because I'm not really sure exactly what, I mean, there's, the, the, in many ways, there's a, the problem is there's so many different things that you could do. And that is, makes it harder to pick one. Is it most important for you to get, get Hivemind started? Or, or is it sort of equal, equal levels of importance to do the side chains? And- yeah, I think, I think my loyalty has got to be to my own project. But I think it is a shame that I think I've been, you know, a lot of people are convinced by my argument that side chains are really like the only way, you know, because the community will grow and there will be disagreements and that the scaling contention is really about the cost of running a full node. And right. with side chains, you can opt in to how much node you want to run. You can run a big node or you can not run it and just only run the minimum tiny node. So I think a lot of people buy that, but, but not enough. People still think that if they just get lightning to work, then everything will be fine. Or if they just get something else to work, everything will be fine. And this applies to the large block argument as well, because those people think, well, you know, once these, once we get the block size big enough, that will be all we need and that will solve all of our problems. But the problem is they also disagree over, over there. They also disagree on how big is big enough. So there's eight megabytes big, is 32 big? Should there be a limit at all? You know, there's, so the, they are going to inevitably have, and they already have had the same problem where they've had this op group thing and these other things, Bitcoin, uh, classic, misspelled, right? Where they're just like, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And now it's already started fracturing uh, even more. So I think it's depressing that more people don't appreciate it and the people who do appreciate it aren't quite uh, loud enough, I think. Um, because this is, just seems to be definitely the right answer here that we have a situation where, you know, the blockchain is like a community, the community grows to a certain size, inevitably there's a disagreement. And so it's not the end of the world, you just form two sub-communities, you know? So there's nothing wrong with that, that's the way everything works, you know? A city gets too big, it splits into two cities, or some people right. spin off, you know, if you go to any city especially around here in New England, you can trace it from when, oh, this was originally part of New Haven, and then it was part of West Haven, and then they carved it off into its own city called Orange, Connecticut. And so, you know, and it's only a matter of time before we keep splitting. We already have uh, the hometown where I grew up. It already has a, has a little borough that wanted to become its own 
town. This is a totally normal thing, you know, that the community has a kind of fractal structure. And uh, so I think that is, uh, I think, well, you know, as I say, there's a lot of, there is kind of like a lot of, in the piece, as I say, there's a lot of like negative energy with side chains, believe it or not, because they, a lot of this stuff really is about who gets to control Bitcoin and the miners would prefer it to be themselves. And the people who review ideas on Bitcoin dev, they prefer that it would be themselves. And everyone wants themselves to be, everyone's most comfortable if they are in charge. But what sidechains do is they, they really kind of uh, turn the table over a little bit where if you have a developer who's willing to write something and miners are willing to activate it and users are willing to use it, uh, then you can do whatever you want on your sidechain. So it kind of gives power to everyone, but I think people are kind of preoccupied with the fact that they lose a certain type of power and they, they're not as happy with the power that they get as what they think they might lose today. I had that one written down too. You, you already mentioned it and you're just talking about it, the training one's replacement. For me, you know, I don't sort of regular user, don't delve much, can't really delve too much into the, the coding side, but it is interesting when you, I, I wanted to quote something you wrote, it's sort of the conclusion of that you said, hence, it really is true, the scaling debate is about control, since sidechains take control away from current elite core developers, we would expect them to oppose sidechains. I mean, if, if that conclusion is, uh, is accurate, that's a tough, that's just a tough one to know how to get around because you know, they're, they're the ones that are writing most of the code, right? And <laughs> Yes. Um, it's always, yeah, you always come across as kind of an unpopular guy if you ascribe rational, selfish, selfish motives to people uh, because we'd all like to pretend that we are, you know, really generous and, and wise and, you know, and the best people around and that all of our associates are as well. So it's like, what kind of person would hang around with, you know, and how, you know, who, but this is the way people really behave. And, you know, you do see it a little bit and sometimes, I mean, I, I, one thing that it's difficult for me to impress upon people is how, like, I think a lot of these people, you know, we're we not in the era when it's like Amir Ataki was like living, he was like squatting in some flat in London and he like had no possessions. He owned his laptop and like some clothes and he was like unpaid volunteer. You know, we're not in that world anymore. We are in a world where lots of people, you know, throw these exotic conferences and it's all expense paid. You get invited and you just give a little talk and you get all these these kind of these great benefits of, you know, if you could be a prestigious kind of individual, you it's life's pretty good. You get like a good salary, you get total autonomy, you get a lot of respect from people. There's a lot of things that you just get. Yeah, we interviewed uh, Trace Mayer in maybe uh, September. It was after the the Bitcoin Cash fork, but before uh, Segwit 2X. And he and he just said the same thing. He's just like, you know, we're, we're past the point where Bitcoin is a collegial sort of grassroots project, unfortunately. And so you give all this stuff to people, and they're they going to Europe on vacation <laughs> constantly uh, for these talks. Uh, and then it's sort of like someone comes along and says, well, you know, and now you don't need uh, Peter Todd's permission to get this into Bitcoin or you don't need, you know, whoever it is, Peter Weil or, or Vladimir, I guess, formally. Um, you don't need, you don't need to, see, now you at least need to run it by those people. And that itself sets off a bunch of social 
you know, wiring in our brains that, you know, it just makes those people very high status and kind of, you know, and as I say, they, they make a lot of money and no one tells them what to do. So it's a pretty good life. <laughs> you know, you get, it's basically the best, one of the best jobs you could possibly get because in addition to being paid a lot of money to do something that you would, that you would be doing anyway, so it doesn't even feel like work, um, you get tons of respect and you get, you know, it's a lot better if people give you free stuff, you really feel like you earned it. But if you, you're merely paid a lot of money and then you have to spend it on a five-star hotel in Cancun, Mexico, then you kind of feel like you're, you're lose, you know that you're losing the money and, and just exchanging it for this other thing. But if someone sends you to a five-star resort in Mexico, then you feel awesome. So it is kind of like, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know if I actually prefer the first world more. <laughs> Maybe there is something to be said for that sometimes that people, you know, uh, even uh, Gavin Andreessen had a quote about this in the ancient days, 2014. Uh, he said something like money. Uh, one of the best ways to destroy an open source project is to is to start inserting all this money in here because people have these intrinsic motivations. They work for the, the good of the project at first, but then when you in, incorporate money, it's sort of like, why did they, why did that person get money, but I didn't, and then how much? And it, it's kind of a big distraction. This episode of Crypto Voices is brought to you by Hoddle Hoddle, the cryptocurrency peer-to-peer exchange that does not hold your funds. On HODL HODL, all trades happen directly between buyers and sellers of both Bitcoin and Litecoin out of or into any fiat currency of your choice, no middleman involved. Each time there's a trade, a contract is created between the buyer and seller where the exchange generates a unique multi-sig escrow address into which the crypto seller safely deposits the funds until all steps of the trade conclude. HODL HODL itself does not touch the funds nor have its own wallet interacting with your trade. HODL HODL is a cheap, fast, effective way to sell some fiat paper tickets and buy some sound crypto. And until July 2018, you'll be pleasantly greeted with 0% commissions and SegWit support. The exchange requires no verification and is truly global. So wherever you are, go to hodlhodl.com today, get some Bitcoin, get some Litecoin, and we wish the team at HODL HODL all the best and thank them for their support of Crypto Voices. Well, uh, let's bring it maybe back to uh, if if we could get this uh, through drive chain, which, as I understand, is the only implementation of a, a side chain concept, right? Well, Sergio actually got me on Twitter. He told me that I forgot he did he did something in 2016. It was not. Um, I don't think he. It was like fully thought out. But yeah, he actually did do a bip and a code. It was also a. It was a. It was a drive chain. He was like very. His was faster. Not in a computational way, but in a, in a in a way that I thought was actually not the point, and uh, and I had some had one or two things uh, that I hadn't uh, invented at that time, so that they were missing from that. But yeah, I forgot he actually did do he put in some work in 2016, and he did code a, a little bit and a little impl- impl- implementation, and so that was kind of cool. But it was also the, that was a, a drive chain implementation, so I guess doesn't matter. You could just count that as two related to the drive chain category. Right. Okay. So what would be then, uh, so it's clear for our listeners, what we're getting at here, like what would be say one or two of the biggest 
benefits of, of getting this soft forked in and maybe one or two of the biggest drawbacks? Well, I think the only drawback would be if you if this software had some kind of you know bugs that would cause the entire that had some kind of contagious effect you know that like crashed the entire node and so they're forcing you to reinstall the old software or do something else. Um, I think really since it's a soft fork, the potential for damage is is very low. It's not like it it, it enables things. It takes what's already possible and just takes a tiny, sequesters a tiny corner of what's already possible and just uh, shrinks that down to make a couple things that are valid today invalid. So soft forks are actually pretty tame as long as, you know, that's, there's a whole conversation about that. But but that's a misunderstanding as I, under, uh, as I understand from you, from watching some of your videos actually, like people think you know, miners can steal coins and things. Oh, well, see, that's the thing is that if you, uh, you can support this project even if you don't want to use any of the sidechains yourself. So I think that's a common misconception. Like people say, oh, miners can steal coins from the sidechains. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, even in the absolute worst case where that's uh, like theoretically possible, there's tons to say about that. But, uh, you know, you just don't, don't, don't use any of the sidechains. You know, it's sort of like, I mean, how would the world look if you had to, every web page had to get permission from someone and you say, oh, that might be a low quality web page. It might not be very good. You know, we need to only have, you know, there might be an insecure web page out there that might download bad files onto your computer. But I mean, anyone who uses the internet would be, would be horrified at the prospect of giving up on everything that the internet has to offer just for the sake of slowly quality checking each idea that someone has for a new website, you know, that would be, you know, that's like, it's too horrible to even comprehend that we would shut all that innovation off just to make, just to prevent a few safe, a few unsafe websites from, from existing. Uh, there's a lot to say about this whole theft thing. Uh, I don't know how like quickly it can all be summarized, but some of the major points are if miners are going to misbehave for six months, 51%, then your your main chain funds aren't safe either. So this security assumption is really not that different because it's assuming that miners will do the obviously wrong thing for like an, a totally absurd amount of time. And we're totally in public and with everyone able to kind of see what's happening. And not sort of user-activated soft forked away from that bad behavior. Yeah, the, the other thing is that you have plenty of time to just like do a couple of little clicks and just say, well, I'm not going to allow if they the theft transaction, which I know is going to arrive precisely on this date or whatever. I'm just not going to allow it in my blockchain. And so then you ultimately, worst case, you would trigger a fork and the market would have to decide, do they want the fork where sidechains are healthy and working all the time? Or do they want one where sidechains sometimes have the money stolen from them? And I think it's a no-brainer. But here's the thing is like, even if you know, whatever the market decides is by de facto the correct answer. So even if markets prefer to have side chains where sometimes the money is stolen, then that just means that that's a good thing. And that's, that's yet another bullet point that, you know, this, this is all options. Right. So where's the downside? You know, there's really none. And, but the third bullet point is this smart contract ecology point that I mentioned before and didn't explain, which is that some of the side chains are bad and we don't want them around. So you either have to do, do what Ethereum did and just let everyone do everything. And then you have to try to calibrate 
individually, like the cost of different functions and, and things like that, uh, to a point where it's basically unauditable. Or you make sure the side chains move very slowly and that it takes a little bit of an, an effort to bolt the side chain on the first time. And then you can just, you have this penalty for if the side chain is, is not working out, then you could say close it down. And if you don't close it down, you know, we're just going to close it down for you. And once it's closed down, of course, the miners, why wouldn't they take all the money and split it amongst themselves? <laughs> like, so it's actually a good thing to get rid of, gets rid of bad sidechain projects. Yeah. So yeah. that's, these are a lot of points that people don't appreciate. And then, you know, there's a little soundbite. People, they go with the soundbite that says, oh, you know, 51% of miners can steal the funds. Uh, a lay person who's not familiar with the details, they'll hear that and they will think, well, of course, the miners will have more money if they steal the funds than if they don't. So therefore, they always will. And then they they immediately reach this false conclusion. So I think that that is a shame that that misconception in particular is advanced by people who should really know better because they know that that's, it's more complicated, much more complicated than that to the point where it's basically the opposite of being true. But they still will say it anyways because it makes them look like they are very concerned and protective. And so that is kind of a, what you might, you might call it's kind of infringing on possibly being kind of an immoral deception, really, where people are saying they, they want to look good themselves. And so they are saying that this stuff about, you know, a sidechains project that could actually be really helpful. And, you know, so the, the one of the really big opportunities, since you asked about this specifically, is that I think it would actually re reduce almost all of the nastiness that I think everyone is familiar with, that right now... You know, people feel like they've got to be really nasty to Roger Veer to kind of dissuade people from joining his group or something. But if it were a side chain and it was the same 21 million coins, like no one would care if you went. Yeah. And that's that's such a powerful point to me, at least like just someone who just sort of is ready for it to keep working and letting people adopt it and just, you know, move forward. It's a, that's, to me, that's a very powerful point. You know, it's really, there's tons of nastiness all the time. People will, you know, all the altcoins are basically forced into this zero-sum game. So how, how friendly can you really be? And how, you know, you have to be Machiavellian to a certain extent because if you, there's something that you're not willing to do, but that the other guy, you, you're not willing to sink to a certain law, but some other guy is, then, you know, you're just at a strategic disadvantage. And well, to your credit, uh, I will say this for our listeners don't know, I've watched some of your videos and uh, you're, you're ready and willing to call out people that had tweeted you. Uh, <laughs> in, 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 uh, it's good to see you try to set these people straight uh, and, and very specifically. And I guess that's all you can do at some point. I don't know uh, where, it, yeah. where it ends, really. But, yes. Um, well, I mean, I don't. This is just the way that I really feel as someone who's been working on side chains for a long time. I just try to be really honest with my audience. So I just say, look, I've been working on this a long time. I did all the, you know, I did two giant series of videos before that were very comprehensive and that were not like, they were not like kind of. I didn't really mention people other than to say someone you know thinks this or something you know in a normal way, like citing a source or something. But you know, I just feel like over the, as the years roll by. And I do, I do all the proper forms, right? I post to Bitcoin Dev, I post to the BIP repository, I present at Scaling Bitcoin. You know, it's like all the proper forms have been observed. And still there is something weird going on here. So that is what I just try to express in 
in the most recent drive chain video where I just talk about the misconceptions and I just think like, you know, there's something, something weird is going on here. And that, and so I, I would hope that people who read the Bitcoin post maximalism post and who get to the section on side chains, like you should, I, I would hope that you'd give me a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because this is just like, I really just do not understand what the other explanation is. If there's, if, if mine aren't right, like, I don't know what, it's going on. <laughs> well, I, I have uh, a bunch of other sort of one-off economic questions for you, but to sort of wrap this, you know, this main point up with drive chain and the Truthcoin hive mind, you know, perhaps eventually being implemented there. Is there any way we could sum it up, like sort of maybe the state of where you might go with the drive chain uh, strategy, and then as well with with hive mind? Sure. Well, I mean, I think um, one easy thing is just ask the miners to run it, and then they'll activate it. And then it will, I don't anticipate that being a problem at all. But the issue is that like, you know, who knows what, you know, will happen as a result because, you know, it's like I tried to do the best I could do, but it's like, who wants to be, it's kind of like you criticize the, uh, you're doing like a Monday morning quarterback or something, or you criticize the president. And then someone just says, okay, well, we'll just put you in, in charge as president. And then it's like, you know, just go. And you're kind of like, oh, like I'm not. Not so sh sure I feel great about that either, you know? So they're like, okay, we'll just run the code like right now. And it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, sure. will it will it work? <laughs> you know, like whatever. Um, so that would be the simplest way. Another cool thing is that we could hard fork, as I said, to try and appeal to the large blockers. And I would not want, it's kind of complicated, right? Because what you could do is is double the amount of coins, give them to the same people. So... It's like switching from dollars to cents, except instead of a factor of 100, it's just a factor of two. And you can say, here's, you start off, half of your money is on the small uh, main chain, and the other half is on this large uh, side chain. And that might be kind of, you know, I don't know if they would go for that. See, what they would probably say is, we like Bitcoin Cash now, so, you know, screw you. So then maybe what, you release other versions of the software that are like, that have the Bitcoin Cash UTXO set. And so that led me to the other post about blockchain fusion, which is like kind of this other weird idea. I read that. That's, uh, I don't know if I would. Yeah, that's like a really weird, I don't know. Like, see, that's when you can, when you read that, I think you get the impression of like how confused I am about what to do next. So hopefully that's, I think, the real, the real explanation for that post is, again, as I say, I write the stuff on my blog to kind of clarify it in my own head. Sure. And that is like me trying to figure out like what, what on earth would work for enough people at once, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like just one uh, question to follow up there. When you said the hard fork to a factor of two, you know, sort of uh, on the main chain and then the side chain uh, with a bigger block, does that mean that the original Bitcoin core, if you will, still goes off? Because if you hard fork, you're sort of by definition creating an altcoin. Right. Then it would be its own new pride, it would be its own like new altcoin or something, but it have all the Bitcoin core owners. And then they'd have, so you'd have to really compete and you have to decide like, different proof of work or yeah. what, you know? And so it's sort of like, this is the problem with altcoins is that you have one imitator and then someone, you know, imitates the imitator and you have all this stuff as, you know, as we've seen, you know, Litecoin imitates Bitcoin and then Feathercoin imitates Litecoin and then whatever, Dustcoin copies Feathercoin. And then so it's all this endless. So the altcoins are, they aren't, you know, they're, they're sort of no good, but I know maybe people would go for this one, like if we if we launched it and we, it was a 
something that worked for small and large blockers, and I could start it off with like maybe Monero sidechain on there as well, or something with ring signatures, and something with the the prediction markets project as well. You know, with the Hivemind uh, sidechain on it, then maybe that could like show people. What about Ethereum? You mentioned Ethereum in your fusion. Yeah, you could do like um, you know, you could do like a rootstock thing on it. You could say, okay, here's all this stuff that you can do. Uh, it might, you know, have something of a chance. Uh, I don't know if that's, you know, if that's a good idea or not, though. But you know, if you're an investor in Bitcoin, it doesn't matter for you, right? Because this is all options. So you just get to kick back and yeah. see if anything interesting happens. I don't know. Like uh, some people, there are some people who want the communities back together, and there are other people who want, like Luke Jr. wants the block sizes smaller, and then like Cobra and Luke Jr. want the proof of work changed. So as I say in the fusion post, is like what can what crazy combination of ideas can you string together? Yeah. And then you know I mentioned keeping the code bases the same, so that you can just keep merging the stuff in. Because one thing that you would fear is that people would withhold support in exchange for concessions from you or something, you know, politically. So if you keep the code base the same, you just keep merging in all the stuff that Bitcoin Core puts in. And so then you have it as well. You're basically just stealing the intellectual property, so to speak. And I bring up the transaction replay as well, because you don't want someone like Brian Armstrong saying that they won't list it on Coinbase. So if you just replay all the transactions, then it's basically listed everywhere. Uh, and then those, those people can't, can't stop you. So I think all the previous attempts at hard forks and for hard forking have had obvious flaws in my point of view. I just look at them and I just think that's not how I would do it at all. You know, I would announce it well in advance. You don't want to like do something where it's like shows up on August 1st, people don't know what's going on. And then they find out about it a couple of weeks later and then they're like, oh, I don't know what this is. And then later on, suddenly in November, unexpectedly, you find out that, oh, this is actually now supposed to be a major competitor to Bitcoin called Bitcoin Cash. Like, you don't want to do it like that, I think. Because then, of course, a lot of those people sold in the month of August or September or October, having no idea that anyone would, would care about this project. And so then you've, you've immediately lost all those supporters, or they have to ask them to buy back in at a loss, and they're confused as to why they're being asked to do this. So I think a lot of the hard forks so far have just been like really uh, weak, and I think it'd be very easy to make huge improvements. As I say, there's the one, the no riders rule. If you saw the talk that John Seth brought up, yeah, if you do a hard fork, everyone wants to put their own pet project into it, but you can't. You should just do one at a time. You should not do replay protection. You should instead do the opposite. You should try to replay every transaction because that keeps them synchronized. It's like Dropbox, <laughs> you know, for your <laughs> blockchains or something. So I think you could... I think you could do a, you could do a strong competitor. I think it's theoretically possible. And then, of course, if you hard fork, you'd have to bring the difficulty all the way down because you'd have no mining. That was going to be my next question about the difficulty. Yes, and you'd have to bring it all the way down, and then people would be able to have fun mining for like you know a day as the difficulty skyrockets back up to whatever its equilibrium value is. And uh, so, um, so you'd have to do that, and then there would be a question of, you know, it's like the price of a coin. And then the difficulty is always chasing that price and trying to be equal to it. So the miners will mine more on when the price is above the difficulty and they'll mine less when the price is below the difficulty. So you would have to see 
basically as the prices changed, you know, what are you getting? Are you sucking hash power away from one project or are you sucking investors or users or attention or like, what's that? What would that be like? But yeah, I don't really want to do that. But I think if I did do it, I could do it a lot better than everyone else says. You know, it's like Segway2x I didn't like. It's a lot of work to scale by factor two, right? So like, I just don't think that the people who have tried to hard fork in the past, I don't think that they really put on a strategy hat. And everybody's learning too. I mean, those were definitely valuable lessons. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I really do think some of the no. uh, some of the stuff was obvious. Like, well, <laughs> I think for like XT a long time ago, they were they were they knew that you should announce it in advance because investors are not going to put up with being suddenly jerked around by some guy. You can't just be like, oh yeah, here this is and sign now and we'll throw in a free bowl of soup or something. You have to sign today though. Like a smart person is not not only not going to fall for that, but they are going to be annoyed that you even tried that on them. So so you want to got to give big announcement in advance. That's, what about a futures market? I would love, yeah, the futures market would be ideal because uh, you know, once you set it up and you give it a little bit of time, maybe give it a little liquidity to do its thing, it's going to be the single best approximation. It will show you with optimal accuracy. So it'll be the, the most accurate. This is not to say that it will be perfectly accurate because no one can see the future, but it will be the best measuring instrument out of all the in- measuring instruments. It will be the one that tells you what the, what the actual prices of these two assets would be in the future. And so if you saw that yours added value, even if it only added $100 or $200 worth of value, you know, the future price of uh, non-sidechain Bitcoin Core maybe would be whatever it is, 8000 And the future price of uh, Bitcoin Core with sidechains, soft fork or a hard fork or with the weird project, the doubling project to appeal to the different philosophies, that have already emerged in the community and that it's a little bit too late to, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Whatever project it is, you could say, okay, maybe the price of that is not 8,000, maybe it's 8,500. And then it's a no-brainer, right? You just you just say, okay, here's the code. It's still SHA-256, it has the same difficulty. And then you just turn it on and then you just say, hey, you know, miners are earning 12.5 plus change bitcoins per block and they can would they would they rather have that multiplied by 8000 or that multiplied by 8500 and all the miners um and all the investors will switch at once you just have to coordinate the users which is definitely uh a little bit difficult for hard forks but that's you know the soft fork is much better so i, I don't know but who knows what exactly what would you know the hard fork may be so much the idea would have to be so much better as to outweigh the cost of switching everyone. So that idea of splitting or changing the proof of work algorithm, there has to be so much merit in that idea that it would outweigh the costs. And I'm skeptical of that, but I think it's possible that that is the case. And the futures market would just let us know if we, if that were the case. The problem is, of course, that a lot of people will not, like if you email someone and say, hey, will you make a futures market for this? They will just like not reply to your email. Well, they will eventually, and then they'll say like, whatever. It depends on what they think will be a lot of trading volume. So uh, it's hard to demonstrate that something will be, will get trading volume though. So it's kind of a, a guess, a conjecture, you know? So it's like, it's kind of flaky, but uh, yeah, I don't know if, um, 
that would be the ideal thing because that would be a great way of cheaply getting some information on whether or not people like any of these ideas. It's interesting. Really interesting to me just to hear all the, uh, the options from you. I hope that whatever goes uh, for you, you have some success with it because I, I definitely like uh, the truth, uh, the hive mind project. Thank you. And side chains as well. So, you know, you've been working on that for a long time and I totally agree with a lot of the points you've been making about side chains. So yeah, all the best there. I, I had some other one-off questions for you, Paul. Do you have time? Do you want to do like, let's do like, we want to do like lightning round, like one sentence, one word. Let's do it. These are some one-off ones. Uh, I always want to ask you this. I think you've had this on your Twitter handle for a long time. You're a bit sarcastic about the term crypto economics. Is that true? Yes, it's partially sarcastic. It's partially because there's no criteria for whether or not someone is doing that or not, or whether or not they are one or not. So, Do you think it ever will uh, develop into some unique field, or is it just economics? Definitely will. I think given enough time, we'll have fields for literally everything. You'll be One day you'll be able to major in, because population grows and specialization increases. So unless there's some kind of disaster that kills the entire human race, they will eventually be possible to like major in giving a podcast. <laughs> I'll be taking that course. Um, okay, very good. Transactions per day. You put this in your recent article we we're talking about. Yes. It's quite low. Uh, it's lowest in two years. It's uh, a depressing what, graph, isn't it? Yeah, what, what, what do you make of it? Uh, I think I, well, I put that in there because I think people don't really r realize what the numbers are. And it's, you know, the rise of altcoins is not just because they are shiny. It's just people really, I think, are indifferent to the medium of exchange that they are using. So they like crypto, but they don't care which crypto, I think, is the meaning of that. But who knows? It could mean lots of things. Okay. Another one, um, scaling. This could be, yeah. I'll try to tailor the question and the answer, but... Uh, I totally agree with you regarding the point about the, the node cost being like sort of the main thing. One question I had for you, you ever read Conrad Graff, any of his blog? Yes. I really like him. I think he's got, you know, just interesting perspectives. Uh, one thing he was saying, the first thing he said about the block size debate was something like two years ago, which was already, you know, well into the debate itself. But he said, it's sort of his first thing he said about it, was like to him, the biggest interesting thing was like the cap itself is sort of like a, uh, it's it's an interesting cartel-like limit that we've never seen in the free market because presumably cartels are only formed with governments. We can we can debate that point too, but like you know, it's a uh, cartel-like limit that limits on-chain transacting to the benefit of off-chain transacting. He says that's that's just a big issue for him. Not that he really made a I think a concrete resolution of it, but do you think? Side chains will solve that issue the best, uh, or is something like a dynamic limit ever, like Bitcoin Unlimited, or is that just? No, I think side chains are much better than the dynamic limit because think about it: the dynamic limit just disenfranchises different people at different times. But you really need something where people can opt in and they can say, "Oh, I want to run this much node," uh, or "I don't." The, the question of whether or not the limit is uh, a central planning concept or not, the true answer to that is that all those things, the distinction between like public and private is actually shades of gray. And you can notice this very well in ro the roads in Cleveland, Ohio are much worse than the roads here in Connecticut. They're both public roads supposedly, but there's just more money here in Connecticut so and less driving. So it, the distinction between public and private is actually not as distinct as some people would prefer. And so it is, it's like when you run a business, you pick all the prices, 
And it's like, is that central planning? Yeah, you central plan your own prices when you sell gas, but if it's a competitive market, you basically must pick prices that are similar to other people's. So it's a shade of gray. It's not a, it's not as, it's not as, it's not that simple. Just one more point on it. I mean, I, I just never heard too many people comment it that way. It was like, uh, I always thought it was a good way to phrase it. Like, as long as it's there. It has similar problems, which is to say, if you rely on something that has no feedback, you have to get it right the first time forever. Right. And the, the off-chain community will always benefit, you know, that they're, they're going to be able to, the ones that can innovate, whereas the on-chain community there, those transaction inclusion services will be at the, the expense of a, of a high. There's an externality problem, yes. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that, I, I take, uh, take a point there, and, and that sidechains uh, are definitely the way to deal with it. Um, I guess that's it. I think that's, those are good ones, Paul. So, uh, <laughs> all right, cool. We're almost right at two hours. So definitely going to break this one up into, uh, two shows. All right. Great. Very good. And, uh, yeah, well, all the best with, uh, your projects. Really appreciate, uh, taking the time to come on here and talk with us. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, it's really good to, uh, to meet you and chat with you. So before we close then, uh, where can our listeners find you if they, they don't know already? Oh, yeah, I would go to, uh, well, I'm on, on Twitter, I'm Truthcoin, which is the original name of the paper, T-R-U-T-H-C-O-I-N. And uh, yeah, I would go to truthcoin.info, which is my blog, and the blog links to uh, drivechain.info, which is the site for drivechain, and it links to bitcoinhivemind.com, which is the site for the Prediction Markets project. There's lots of reading to be done on the uh, on BitcoinHiveMind.com and for DriveChain, there's some pretty cool presentations and the FAQ for DriveChain is, is pretty good, I think. Although I'm, I'm constantly improving it, so hopefully by the time you hear this, it'll be even better. But there's lots of cool questions in there and uh, yeah, TruthCoin on Twitter is probably the best place. And I think I'm P-S-Z-T-O-R-C on Telegram. Lots of people love Telegram these days. Our guest has been Paul Stortz. Paul, thanks a lot for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.